everybody. Welcome to Homo Sapiens. My name's Chris Sweeney. I would think after 255 episodes or however many it is, you might know that by now. But I'm not alone because it's LGBT History Month. We've got a very special episode because I am joined by the matriarch of LGBTQ plus activism, Lisa Power, MBE. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to Homo Sapiens. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. You're also very well known. I was talking to a friend in Mongolia earlier who said, oh, I listen to them. They're great. Stop it. No. <laughs> yeah, really, genuinely. He's in Ulaanbaatar. What's his name? His name is Dan. Dan in Ulaanbaatar. Hello. I've got your lovely friend Lisa here. We're going to have a right old laugh. Now, listeners, let me just tell you a little bit about Lisa because it's LGBT History Month. Lisa is a pillar of our queer history. She's a co-founder of Stonewall. Stonewall was set up in 1989 as a direct response to the passing of Section 28. By the way, Lisa, we can get you a buzzer. If I get anything wrong, you can hit it and then tell me, shut up, Chris. Section 28 in the UK prohibited the promotion of homosexuality by local authorities. Some of you have actually written in with your memories of Section 28. So we're going to be looking through all of them with Lisa. We're going to talk to Lisa in a second. But first, are you all caught up on our list? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Latest episodes to celebrate LGBT History Month. We released a snippet last week all about the Pink Pound with queer historian Justin Bengry, who I don't know if do you know him, Lisa? Yes. Yeah. He's great. That was a brilliant episode. So go listen to that if you haven't. And last week we spoke to reigning queen of RuPaul's Drag Race UK, Ginger Johnson. Are you familiar with Ginger's work, Lisa? Not really, no. I'm sure they're lovely. Absolute delight. Also, coincidentally, looks just like Dermot O'Leary. Out of drag. I should qualify. And we talked to all about fame and mental health and what it's really like to win Drag Race. Oh, I really want to see Dermot O'Leary in drag. Well, who else could make that happen but you and me joining forces here? He'd look great in drag. He's just got the right bone structure for it. Speaking of which, Craig has been on Instagram saying he was listening to the latest episode with Ginger, said, I love Ginger's take on their internal critical voice and speaking it out loud to identify it when it's an unreasonable voice and movie trailer. Love it. So this, Lisa, this thing that Ginger Johnson does, I need to do it from memory. Ginger has talked very openly about their struggles with anxiety. And if you're having like all these internal thoughts while you're like cooking, just say them all out loud and you realise how ridiculous they are. And they sort of go away. Yes, I'm very familiar with that. I think women are born with a horrible, critical inner voice. And I think we should all learn to tell it to shut up. <laughs> to F off. Yeah, too right. 
It's, but it's funny, people don't talk about it enough, do they? We just assume no one else has it and you've been cursed with one. Yeah. And, and so you're like, oh, I better not say anything because then people will find me out. Imposter syndrome, love it. And as, for example, an MBE, do you still feel like an imposter? Oh, but the MBE's got nothing to do with anything. If you know how they're awarded, it's all a complete game. I mean, it's lovely for people who are really excited and so on. When I got it, I dropped the letter and shrieked because I was so horrified. Um, but it was pointed out to me that it was money in the bank for the charity I was working for at that point. And mm-hmm. I would jolly well take it. And then I made the mistake of telling my mother. Yeah. Who, um, and my mother has been amazing all my life. She's put up with all sorts of nonsense from me, never complained. And I said, I don't think I'm going to take this. And she said, you will take it. I've always wanted to go to the palace. And then she ran through a litany of all the things she'd had to put up with from me, not ever getting married, never going to a wedding for me. The fact that I refused to have a graduation ceremony at my university. She just ran through this list. I had no idea she'd been keeping count. She said, and you will do this one thing for me. So so I did. And she had a whale of a time. I took a very ingenious and flamboyant gay friend, my mate Julian, Mm. and he blagged her way into pretty much the front row of the ceremony, which is unbelievable because that's where the people who are becoming knighted are supposed to have their guests. (laughs) He dragged her all the way to the front. And I discovered that she used to teach court etiquette when she was young and she was quite a well-known professional ballroom dancer at that time. Your mum? Yeah, she taught court etiquette and apparently she sat there through the whole ceremony critiquing everybody's curtsies as they went. Really? (laughs) I love the sound of your mother. Now, when you get one of these kinds of, I want to say awards, but what do I mean? Gongs. They're gongs. Which royal did you get? I was very happy with what I got. I got Charles. I understand that the palace don't like getting Charles because he talks too much and then lunch gets cold. They like Anne because she gets them through like a production line. I got Charles and when I was sent the letter, it said um, for services to health. And I thought that was a bit mimsy. And frankly, I should be further out than that. (laughs) And I found out from my boss who'd already got one that you can change your citation. So I changed my citation to say for services to sexual health and the LGBT community. And of course, what I didn't realise is when you get there, there's a man who announces it in this really booming voice like the lottery he said, Lisa Power, for services to sexual health and the lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender community. Because, of course, it's the palace. They don't do acronyms. Yeah. whole thing out. Right. And Charles was in the middle of pinning this thing on me. And he stopped dead in his tracks, looked at me and went, and which division are you, my dear? <laughs> Love that. None of your beeswax, sir. One of the things about LGBT History Month is none of us are taught our queer history, right? And that's partly to do with Section 28 and many other things. So I always like to, when we talk about this kind of stuff, nothing is too far to clarify what something is, if you know what I mean. I always remember my first conversations around all this stuff when I was much, much younger. And then I was like, oh, God, I'm supposed to know what this is and I don't. Tell me, how did you get involved in activism? Like, how did all this start? I was like a duck to water. My dad was a working class Tory. He'd been a sheet metal worker and risen to middle management. And he took me and my mum 
I think it was my mum's only night out of the year because we weren't very well off at this stage. And he took us to the annual local conservative dinner and they had the Labour dinner downstairs and everybody was in the Tory dinner. And I went downstairs and the guest speaker was George Brown, who Mm -hmm. most of your viewers will be much too young to remember, but he was Harold Wilson's right-hand man. He was as drunk as a fart, but I got him to sign the, the little menu from the conservative dinner upstairs, which he thought was a complete hoot. That's hilarious. And the next thing I remember that was at all political was I managed to get myself to an anti-apartheid meeting. And I must have been, what, 13, 14, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I'd gone off to it. And it was terrifying because the National Front, which was the equivalent of UKIP with a bit more muscle, basically fascists, Mm. they turned up to break up the meeting because it was being spoken to by a black South African guy who'd been part of... Um, the anti-apartheid movement. And it got quite hairy. And I remember my dad turned up um, and strode in and hoiked me out before I could get any further involved in the trouble that was going on. I was always the awkward squad. And I always asked questions you weren't supposed to or talked about things you weren't supposed to. I never had the slightest sense of tact. I just got involved in stuff. When I was in sixth form, I was volunteering for a sex education thing called Grapevine, which I think is still going. I was doing little bits and pieces, went off to uni, got embroiled in all sorts of things, came down to London after uni and got involved in the squatting and short life movement in Islington, which Mm -hmm. of course was a hotbed of interesting things in those days. And we had a, a queer household. I have to say it was in those days, we'd have called it polymorphously perverse. Today, you'd probably say it was pansexual, what between all the different people who were in there. Then in December 1979, I went to give a friend some moral support in an interview for Gay Switchboard, and, and they ended up interviewing me and accepting me. Wow. And Switchboard was a revelation, and it taught me everything. I mean, in those days, it was 24 hours a day. There were 55 to 60 volunteers doing a 24-hour, 365-days-a-year operation. We all did multiple shifts, and all human queer life was there. I was already, you know, a mouthy little feminist, but it really taught me, taught me huge amounts. And its function was, its primary function was what? Well, in those days, you have to remember, no internet, um, literally no way of finding out anything gay mm. um, unless you either called Switchboard or you had the, there was a big thick supplement every fortnight in gay news. Mm-hmm. If you had access to gay news, you could you could go there. But if you wanted to chat to someone rather than just get information, you had to come to Switchboard because you couldn't guarantee that you would get a good reception from people like Samaritans in those days or other helplines. Yes. So it was a, but it was a helpline. Well, it was an everything line. Now it's very much a helpline. But in those days, it was everything. It, it, it wasn't just helping you with coming out or breakups or um, being arrested or whatever. It was it was literally, is this club open in Bolton tonight? Is there a gay restaurant in Bournemouth? And people were literally calling us from all over the world for this stuff. We actually had, we had files. If you ever see photos from that time, it's this really quite small room, but it is plastered in, in A4 files and in maps all across everything. A big 
whiteboard of all the clap clinics in London. Um, <laughs> we got a lot of that even at that stage. This is pre pre HIV. Um, a huge map with pins all over it of London behind us. Another one of England with a pin for every town that had something queer in it. Just incredible and everybody had to do multiple shifts and they had to also have a job within switchboard and I joined training group very early and then I became the press officer and that's that's where I picked up a lot of my bad habits from being an absolutely mouthy cow. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So, so there you are, LGBT switchboard, or lesbian and gay switchboard, as it was known then. It was gay switchboard when oh, I... gay switchboard then. One, one of the... Uh, as as someone who is a historian, my actual degree was in medieval history, which you'd be surprised how useful it is for mm. modern gay history because there's a really? lot of gossip involved. The terminology changes over the whole time that I have been alive and queer mm-hmm. um, so that I started out a gay woman, became a lesbian rapidly when I discovered feminism, joined Gay Switchboard. It became lesbian and gay switchboard in the early mid-80s mm-hmm. um, and subsequently LGBT switchboard and now just switchboard brackets LGBT. Am I right in saying you kind of weren't out when you started at Gay Switchboard? Oh no, I was. I was I was very out. I was li- living in I was living in that lovely polymorphously perverse household. Ah, uh, okay, sorry. I thought it was like there was slightly slower understanding of your own Oh God, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's various bits attached to the story, but the main thing was uh, a woman called Jill Posner, who subsequently became a very famous photographer. She's in the Tate Britain exhibition at the moment. Mm. At that point, she was a stage manager and she'd just written the first out lesbian play to be produced in London by Gay Sweatshop, which was called Any Woman Can. Mm-hmm. And she turned up in Lancaster, took one look at me and said, oh, for God's sake, pull yourself together. You're a lesbian, more or less. Really? <laughs> and she was right. <laughs> so did you know what you were? Well, or? I knew I fancied women and I made all sorts of excuses for it mm-hmm. about conditioning and, and so on. Absolute nonsense, obviously. Did you just then draw a distinction between being a gay woman and a lesbian? Well, yeah, the difference was political in those days. Ah. Gay women were tweeds and Eastbourne and raising dogs and and nice, (laughs) nice ladies. Um, Lesbians were 
oh, we were feminists. Um, when I joined Switchboard, right. there was only one other lesbian there because all the, all the lesbians had run off to form Lesbian Line a couple of years before. Yes. So I, realize, I mean, they probably have taken me whoever I was. They got me. The only other lesbian who was there um, declared that she, she thought feminism gave lesbians a bad name. Oh. So... Um, yeah, not not someone I, I I hung out more with the men initially until mm-hmm. we got some more women on. And tell me about this polyamorous household. Polymorphously perverse. It was an interesting household. We had um, a lesbian who had a boyfriend in mm-hmm. the room above me, and a gay man on the top floor who. Uh, well, no, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go into it because the one or two of them might even sue me for libel to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, all human life was there is the point I'm making. (laughs) Everybody was up to everything. Um, People forget that things were much more fluid back in the 70s. Now, -hmm. some of that was because people had been in the closet and had to try and act straight. But actually, there were far less rules. And the 80s became very, very rigid. Mm -hmm. And you be gay or straight, pick a side and stick to it and you'll get drummed out the Tufty Club if you don't behave. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people on Switchboard should have known better. I nearly got chucked out of Switchboard at one point Mm -hmm. because I and Gay Man on Switchboard had a very brief relationship and I was not having any lying about it. I didn't come out of the closet to go back into another one. And in those days, if you were bisexual, you were not allowed on Switchboard. Really? Advanced volunteers before we had bi-volunteers on Switchboard. And that was a different furore, but... It stuck. Mm. But no, because we wouldn't redefine as bisexual, they couldn't do a thing about it. And bless him, the man concerned, they called a general meeting. I love the drama of Switchboard. I actually thrived on it, but this one was a bit hairy. They called a meeting to discuss whether we should be thrown out and what was going on, which was the most ridiculous thing. (laughs) And I have to say, most of the lesbians were brilliant and rallied behind me and said things like, well, I don't understand what you did, Lisa, but I'm not letting the men push us around. But the man turned up to the meeting dressed head to foot in bright red and introduced himself as the Scarlet Woman. I love it. We were not having any nonsense. We stood up for ourselves and they calmed down after. A bit, but the 80s was that rigid, and we got calls all the time from people who come out as lesbian or gay and then realize that actually they were bi or poly or or whatever, that this was something that, that they were having to cope with. It was harder because they'd lost one set of friends, made a new set, and now they were looking at losing them as well. The lesbian and gay charity at that time, where two of the members of staff, a lesbian and a gay man, started having a relationship, and they were instructed by the management committee that they were not allowed to tell the clients of the charity that they were in a relationship. It was for teens, the charity, mm. and if they would give them a bad impression, mm. they had to be properly homosexual. Such nonsense. It's, it's so much better now. I mean, it. I hope so. As I fly through your glittering career, you went to help set up the pink paper, right? I did. The timing on that was impeccable because that was supposed to be, gay news had fallen apart and gone, mm. and there was no lesbian and gay newspaper. Two gay men actually started it and owned it, but they dragged in lesbians to work with them on it. And we started four weeks before Section 28 hit, which was incredible. So for for a large chunk of Section 28, I was actually covering it for the pink paper while my girlfriend at that time was the chair of this little new organisation for lesbian and gay action, which had also just started and which had promptly stepped up and tried to help create some of the opposition to Section 28. 
Wow. By reporting on it, I was able to actually really look at all the different bits of what was going on mm -hmm. and see what worked and what didn't. And that was invaluable for making the contacts and beginning to understand the politics that led me to, despite the fact that I was really quite radical compared mm -hmm. to most of its members, end up in, in Stonewall. Let's talk about Section 28, because that's, you know, this big part of LGBTQ plus history. It has long tendrils that resonate today. How would you define it? Section 28 was a piece of legislation. It was the first piece of anti-gay legislation in 100 years. Mm -hmm. And it was designed initially to stop local authorities from supporting lesbian and gay causes, giving them grants, giving them help, employing lesbian and gay units to further equality. And it became a huge thing around particularly education. And I don't think it was just about education at all to start with. It happened in an atmosphere where a Conservative government had been in office for three terms, had run out of legislation, had to distract people. Section 28 was described as a bit of red meat for the faithful by one Gosh. sympathetic Conservative member of Parliament. And there weren't many of them. The Labour Party was terrified of being nice to gay people because we, they'd been smeared with gay rights and racial politics, they were absolutely smeared with those two things as being the loony left. Mm -hmm. Stories were completely made up to try and show the absurdity of giving equality to black people and queers. And we both got it in the neck as groups of people. And of course, black queers got it doubly in the neck. So Section 28 was part of a big lo local government bill and it got slipped in. It wasn't in the original bill. It got slipped in and the government kind of winked at it and said, yeah, OK, we'll we'll let that through because it will distract people. Wow. I don't think Margaret Thatcher was particularly horrendously homophobic in her private life. She had gay friends, but she was perfectly prepared to be in public if it got her, if it got her a, a little bit of a chance of not being chucked out of power. And you can see that happening with some of the leading members of the Conservative party now. I don't believe that some of them are that anti-trans, but they see it as a vote winner from the right. Yeah, They've frightened and shamed and confused some of the Labour Party into being almost as bad, who really need to pull themselves together. The parallels and the echoes, as you outlined them, are mm. astounding, really. And unfortunately, it's, it's trans people who are getting the brunt. Parallels are massive. I actually... Mm had a flaming row with somebody that I can't be asked to name because one mm. of the one of the things about being a historian is the way to be really mean to people is just not to mention their names and they don't appear in the history. Somebody who I was quite close to during Section 28 who is now massively anti-trans. And oh. I said, can you not see? And I just pulled out the parallels and he was going, no, 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 it's completely different. It's like, it's really not. All the same tropes. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Coming for your children, they're going to trance you, and in our day it was they're going to gay you. Mm. I always thought it was tremendous that they gave us that much power, that all you would have to do was be close to somebody who was gay and whoop, it was like, you know, fairy dust, you get it yourself. <laughs> and now they behave like that around people being tranced, in inverted commas. Well, yeah, and sort of, you know, if everyone starts questioning their gender, then where are we going to end up? Very happy and with a lot more choices. <laughs> exactly. And, and... God forbid, you know. Um, pausing there, delightful chat with Lisa Power. Part two is on the feed. Hold up. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.